This is a community where we aim to create a comfortable space that allows for active discussion without judgment. Find us at thecuriousmother.com and follow us on social media. Our Instagram is at thecuriousmother. Welcome back to The Curious Mother. This is Kristen Daly. I'm Melissa Miller. So, Melissa, what have you been curious about lately? So, one thing that I have been curious about um, is the topic of emotional well-beings for moms. I've just noticed a lot in my practice and personal life hearing from a lot of moms who talk about feeling this emptiness, this kind of sense of kind of everything seems right, they love being a mom, they spend a lot of time taking care of their kids, but there's just this general emptiness that they feel and they can't quite put their finger on what that is. So I would really love to dive into that today. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I I feel like I see a good bit of that too. And I know that there's some data on that as well, that in particular, stay-at-home moms struggle a lot with depression. Yeah. And, you know, I always think about, um, especially when I'm meeting with moms, one of the things that we usually will dive into pretty quickly um, is my favorite model for emotional well-being is ABC, please. And um, it's a model that's from a type of therapy called DBT or dialectical behavior therapy. And the A is for accumulating positive experiences. And I think that parenting is probably very rich for that, but there's also a lot of really tough experiences. Yeah, it is really <laughs> hard to be a mom. <laughs> it's funny, just just last night I had dinner with a couple of friends and, um, you know, several different um, parents. And um, we were all commenting on the fact that Kids push our buttons in a way yes. that yes. Um, nobody else can. I mean, you know, one of my dear friends, um, who's also a guest on this podcast, Sharon, was saying that, you know, she in her day to day life never, ever, ever is angry. And yet, <laughs> you know, the, her give her enough time with her kiddos, and she she can be really angry. And same thing, Jeff was saying. You know, he has an incredibly long fuse. He doesn't know that he has ever yelled at a single grown up in his entire life, but he certainly <laughs> yells at kids. So That's there's amazing. <laughs> well, and also. No, not only can they make us so angry, it is a very thankless job. Like, it is very rare that my children have ever said, like, hey, mom, thanks so much for getting up three times in the middle of the night with me last night when I was calling for you. Never. Never. No. Hey, mom, (laughs) thanks so much for all the patience that you have while I was having a major meltdown. That was, that must have been hard for you. No, (laughs) you don't get that. No, I think I actually got a, I hate you today as I was trying to. You get a kiddo out the door on the way to their sport. <laughs> Which the hardest thing is, sometimes when you're being the best parent, you're getting the worst reaction from them, right? Totally. Like sometimes a, an I hate you or a how dare you is yes. actually because you've done it really well. Exactly. Like you've been a good parent and held some boundaries. Well, and how about, Melissa, have you ever been there where like you're actually trying to do the positive thing where you've like created some plan for the family to have fun? And then everybody turns on you. Oh. oh. (laughs) (laughs) And then suddenly you're like, we were supposed to have fun, damn it. Don't you know what I planned? This is my positive experience. (laughs) I I have a girlfriend who calls it forced family fun. (laughs) Because she's just like, at this point, her kids are adolescents. And she's like, you know, I get it. Nobody is actually really wanting to spend time with us. And yet I still feel like I need to do it. 
You know, and so that's then the B in ABC Please is building mastery. We all have to have stuff that we know we're really, really good at. And this is, again, like I always will say, parenting can't be mastery. Right. You never master it. You just never. don't. Right. <laughs> you know, and then sometimes I was talking to a mom earlier today, and she was saying, we were talking about her baby's sleep, and she said, you know, it's just been really easy. And she said, you know, and I have a feeling it has everything to do with the baby and nothing to do with me. And I recognize that I really, like, can't see this as me having done something good because it will all go to my head. And that's <laughs> and I And I shared with her that, you know, if – I always say if we had stopped with my first child, he uh, I would have thought it was way better of a parent than I am because he's ridiculously easy. <laughs> so <laughs> parenting can't be your mastery. But then, then that moves into the question of how do we find our mastery? Like right. what should our mastery be? Such a good question. And I think this will be a really fun one to take a look at today. It reminds me, um, I recently read this article um, out of uh, Stanford, I believe, um, and it was it was really kind of all about finding your passion and how even just that phrase you need to find your passion is a really dangerous phrase to say and instead of finding your passion we need to talk about developing our passion um did you read this article i did yes and and well hopefully we'll put a link of it up um yeah it's funny because i feel like that can be such a huge burden you know there's like I mean sometimes I have to admit I will refer to my work as like feeling like a calling like I feel like I was meant to do what I do and there's so many things in my life that just point me in the direction of yep you were supposed to do this but not everybody lands in that direction no for one Mm -hmm. and for two Sometimes what is our calling or our passion is not going to be the thing that supports us or even is right. really welcomed or encouraged, right? Right, right. Yeah, I I mean, truthfully, I have um, a lot of friends who work, but not all of them walk out and say, like, gosh, that gave me a deep sense of purpose today. That gave me joy. And I don't, uh, you know, I, that, I guess that's just the way the working world is, that there's yeah. very few um careers that really help you feel great at the end of the day. You might feel accomplished. You might feel like you've gotten a lot done. Um, But that sense of like passion. um, And if you're a working mom, then there's very little time left to go find that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's funny, like my younger brother is a musician. And um, I can remember when we were in high school um, or he was in high school and I was in college. um, Dave Matthews was just kind of getting becoming known. And he was, you know, from Virginia, but he would play a lot at Chapel Hill. And um, my younger brother is um, a – he was in a, this straight-edge death metal band. Or I, I don't know. Straight-edged death metal. Yes. That just sounds wrong. Yes. He would, <laughs> I would see him play in clubs, and he would be like, this next song goes out to my sister. Don't! You know, you know, I was like, no idea. I was like, I hope those are all good lyrics, you know? And the thing is, is that I, I remember telling him, I was like, why, why don't you play like Dave Matthews? Because Dave seems to be doing pretty well. And, um, you know, maybe like then this really big talent that you have would be something that would be really commercial. Lucrative. Yeah. (laughs) And he was like, why would I do that? I love the music I play. And I, you know, and I I felt a little bit like, oh, yeah, I mean, I guess you should love what you do, right? Right. And it's funny because even now, 
He still is a musician. He has moved on to German death metal as oh. his genre. And luckily, he lives in Germany, so Hopefully that's accessible. That's <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's probably as lucrative as it was 20 years ago. Um, but he has a job that pays the bills so he can go and do his passion. So I do think that there are lots of different ways that we can play out this passion thing. But we, we have to be careful about how much pressure we put on it because if you think – oh, this is the thing I want to be known for for the rest of my life. I mean, gosh, that's a pressured choice, that's right? That's a lot of pressure. It also implies that your passion is something that you're going to be really good at. Yeah. And the truth is <laughs> you might not be good. The, the article that we read was also kind of saying that, saying finding your passion implies that it will be easy, uh-huh. that you don't have to develop it, that you stumble upon it, and it's like just this inherent talent that you have, and you yeah. love it, it brings you so much joy. But the truth is, with any interest or passion, you're going to hit roadblocks. You're going to have to develop it. There's going to be times when it's hard. You might not be good at it, but that doesn't mean that you should stop. And I think this whole find your passion kind of sets us up to turn away from things when it gets hard. Yeah. Um, And so I do like this idea of developing a passion, kind of more of a curious stance, right? Yeah. Like being willing to not have to be the best at it all the time. Yeah. Or being willing when it's hard that you can still explore how do I get through this instead of it meaning like, eh, no, I must not be good at it. I'm done. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, um, you know, Malcolm Gladwell's book Outliers, which I loved, you know, major devotee of the book. But when it comes down to it, He's talking about people who become the best of the best of the best, right? And those are very unique scenarios. And yet all of us have to have mastery. You know, like there's a reason why it's a key part in that well-being model. And so it's not that you have to be the best of the best of the best, but it's more like that you are engaging with this thing that you feel really good about, you know. And and sometimes it's funny, um, my younger – my middle uh, child – just today, this the sporting event that I forced her to go to was a, a um, extra swim rehearsal. She loves swimming, and she's been really excited about trying out for the competitive team in a couple of weeks. And um, her coach pulled us both aside and said, look, you know, I, I hope she's not planning on trying out because I have to let you know she's not going to make it. Oh. And that was just really gut-wrenching yeah. to hear. And she just, you know, we both kind of had that feeling of, like, being a little bit, you know, punched. And what the coach said was – she wouldn't make it on this team because we are the most competitive of the teams. She was like, you know, but your options are, she's like, I don't think that she shouldn't swim because she's really good. She's just not good enough for our competitive team. And she said, you know, so she can stay on our non-competitive team. But she said, I don't think that she's getting enough training. So I want you to look for other teams in, you know, in the area that are a little bit more competitive, but not our team, you know. And so it like it was interesting to watch as she's been kind of wrestling with that information because her dream has been to be on this competitive team and um and it really is her passion but I was also saying you know saying to her that maybe this is just one of those not roadblock or barrier but maybe this is just one of those bumps that we got to get through and maybe you'll like another team and that team could be your pathway to to getting on this competitive competitive team. But I think that it was, you know, it was hard to wrestle with, oh, this isn't just going to unfold the way (laughs) that I want it to, you know. And I think, I, you know, at first I was like, gosh, why do we have to hear this feedback now? Like, why not at least let her try out? But I realized, like, that probably was a gift, you know, like, because now we're not going to go through all of those steps. But at the same time, you know, I was really trying to help her understand, you know, at the ripe old age of nine, 
that this doesn't mean that that is not her passion, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is such a great example, especially because it sounds like this team, there's um, the elite mm-hmm. and then and, and nothing in between that and kind of the entry level. And yeah. that's not fair, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yet it's so easy for all of us to feel like, well, if I didn't get that – then there's no other option. But there yes. are always lots of other options to yeah. to pursue what we just like to do. There's other steps. So what do you think? Like how do people find what, you know, if, if we think about those moms who are really kind of feeling empty and feeling disconnected and not, they don't have their mastery, you know, where, where do they go? What do you think? Great question. <laughs> Um, I think there's lots of lots of doors that can be opened. Um, one of them that I think about is uh, looking at past passions, right? Mm. Like um, I was, I was a dancer growing up. I lived and died for dance, and now my daughter dances, and she likes it a lot. Um, but I am like one heartbeat away from becoming a dance mom, and I have to like. <laughs> Hold myself back. I would from. so love to see that. <laughs> uh, I want to make it clear: I do not want to be a dance mom. So I do. I kind of want her to be a dance mom. <laughs> I have to do everything to hold myself back. But I recognize, like, this was something that I loved, and um, I know there's adult classes. There's a lot of reasons I haven't joined them, mainly because I don't want to do a recital as an adult. <laughs> And I'm scared. I'm nervous to get back into it. I, it's been a long time. I don't know who's going to be there. Um, it require a lot of bravery to do yeah. this. Um, but that I could easily look back and say, that's something that I used to love. Yeah. And other, other things like one of my passions has been finding great books. I'm a reader, right? Yeah. There were many years where I didn't make time for it. And it used to like really scratch that itch that I needed and really get my curiosity going in a lot of ways and recently have carved out time to start picking up books again. And it has been very good for me. Yeah. Um, so looking backwards, I think, is an easy way to start. Like, what did I used to love that I don't have in my life anymore? So that's one way. What about, yeah. what do you think? <laughs> it's funny because I... Um... I, my favorite way is to recommend classes um, and yeah. just especially, you know, to really think about like what would I want to be known for or what is a skill that I wish I had. Yes. And um, we happen to – in our area in the southeast, um, we have a fun little thing called Skill Pop. And I am um, a really self-confessed Skill Pop addict. I don't know what my total <laughs> count on Skill Pops attended is, but it's probably – it's up there. <laughs> and it's really just because I love – so it's like these little one-off classes. They're only like $30, $35. And you get to have this one little skill that you learn. Yeah. And um, it's funny because, Melissa, thinking about you and dancing uh, – and maybe a year or so ago, a girlfriend of mine was saying that she had always wanted to learn how to do hip-hop dance. And I happened to have noticed that there was a skill pop that was intro to hip-hop dance. Amazing. <laughs> and I have never – like, I, 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 I – I think I danced briefly when I was in kindergarten, and I have a distinct memory of my mother telling me that dance was not for me. Oh, Kristen! <laughs> and, and of course, I don't know if this actually happened or not. <laughs> you know, the malleability of memory. Right. Although when you think of any kid- kindergartner, it's very hard to look at any kindergartner and say dance is for Oh, yeah. Right? I mean. <laughs> but I, I think the understanding was I was very unskilled. And so I, um, I wrote off dance completely. 
Um, but I, I mean, so seriously, like I never knew how to do the moonwalk or the worm. Like even like I just, <laughs> I'm trying to imagine me doing the worm now. I wish we had been in an eighth grade dance together. <laughs> so, the worm. <laughs> so I was, I told her, I was like, you know, there is this skill pop class of hip hop dance. Like if you want to do it. And so we did. <laughs> and uh, we signed up for it. Um, I do have to say it was – I have never done choreography. I kind of thought that they were going to be like, so here is how you do the worm. And then we learned the worm, and um, which I'm sure like they would be mortified that that was my hope for the class. Um, but, no, we actually got to learn a choreographed routine. Amazing. Um, it's funny because it's – the picture from our class has been used in all the promos. <laughs> I am conveniently behind the instructor, <laughs> so not seen in the class. But yeah, we um, and it was myself and a friend and another lady that we're all friends, and um, so we got to learn very elaborate um, choreography to a Jason Derulo song, um, which is totally inappropriate. So can't ever play the song around my children or show them all my amazing skills. Um, but so I, I, you know, I. I've, Always recommend skill pop, but I also recommend, you know, community college classes. Um, I think that it is helpful um, for it to be in a face-to-face class. So there's lots of online classes that people can take. Um, but really, alongside that, it's helpful for us to develop community. You know, there's this concept called scaffolding, which is like, you know, using supports to create growth in yourself. And one of the best forms of scaffolding is social support. You know, and so um, I – because I like to try new things and I'm curious as crazy, um, anytime I have a friend who says, oh, I want to develop this thing, I'm like, I'm in. I'll try it. I so I think that. that's also why I've been to so many skill class. <laughs> Um, you know, I have, I have a girlfriend who's really gotten very into painting, and I have a deep appreciation for art um, and very little impulse control or skill to ever become an artist. But I love going to art classes with her because it's fun for me to be able to spend time with her. I love learning about art, and I love, like, practicing it and doing it badly. And um, so – and it's helpful because I'm helping her develop her interest as well, you yeah. know. And so um, if we can find that person – to do it with us, yep. that goes a really long way. Goes a really long way, and I and I love this idea of saying yes, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, Kristen did something really cool at work because uh, we work together in the same office with a lot of women, and um, out of nowhere, you suggested these girls' nights, and um, and so you and probably the friend you're talking about mm-hmm, that does mm-hmm. art invited all of the women over for a girls' night where we painted. I have never really I've never done art before in my life minus like I do love crafting I I have creative outlets in other ways but yes. painting has never been something I've done or yeah. thought I was good at. And so I kind of thought, oh, I'll go chat. And I'm probably not going to do any art. I'll watch everybody <laughs> I think, I, think everybody I remember else. you being like, oh, you really do want us to do the art. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it was incredible and I loved it. Now I don't know that mine was the awesome, but I felt so oh, good I, about I it. I think yours turned out amazing. Well, thank you. <laughs> I loved the process, and then 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 um, we've done some staff meetings where we we've done a little bit of art therapy here, and just by being willing to when somebody else around you says, "Hey, come do this," 
just showing up and agreeing to try something out, you have no idea what you're going to love until you do it. So yeah. I love that. And I do love also this idea of if you do have an interest, asking people to join you in it, um, you never know who is going to become super excited about it and then encouraging you to do it with them. Yeah, I've even seen people put it out on social media that, you know, I would like to really learn how to do X, Y, and Z. Anybody else interested in it or anybody else um, have this shared interest? I mean, you know, it's it, through social media. I've seen some friends develop writing groups. I've seen friends who are able to develop um, meetups for specific um, activities. And I think that those help to cultivate that sense of passion. Yes. Yes. And I think going back to like the idea of developing a passion versus having a passion. The great thing is, is that it's not, it's not a lifelong commitment. It's not like, okay, do I want to do this one thing for the rest of my life? It's more like, okay, let me try this on. I always like encourage that you don't just try it on once. You try it on a few times, which means I probably need to get back to intro to hip hop. (laughs) (laughs) But you do it a few times just to be sure that maybe this is something that sticks, you know, because it it matters for us to be able to to have that experience. And the first time is always going to be this kind of one-off I'm scared. I don't know what to do. Right. I'm disoriented. And so yes. sometimes we need that second or third or fourth or fifth time before we really get a sense of, okay, this is where I fit or this is what I like. And, and doing that with friends makes it so much easier, right? Yes. Like it's always so much easier to be with somebody who you can laugh a little bit and then they encourage you because even when you were just like, no, your art was good, Melissa. Um, <laughs> I need that. I need yes. to hear like, oh, okay, I should try this again, right? Yes. It's nice to get positive feedback about these things. It is. And the thing is, is that that's also why it matters so much that you do it in person, not virtually. Yeah. Because the thing is, is that you want to be able to see the person's response and you want to be able to have that, you know, we get positive emotional neurotransmitters when we are face-to-face smiling eye contact you know and so we want to be able to have that sense that somebody else sees us and somebody else is there to support us and so it can't be a virtual thing it really does need to be face-to-face and yeah and knowing knowing that as women we tend to have really negative harsh critics as our self-talk that I can see that if we do something on our own we might quickly stop, quit the game, not encourage ourselves because Mm -hmm. um, even if we're enjoying it, if we don't think we're doing it right or well enough, we're going to pull ourselves out of the game. Yeah. Um, And I also, you know, I do think that we're in a culture where it would be easy to do things by ourselves, right? Like we'd get the book first. We'd just do it online. But then do we ever really do it? Like we might read about it. We might plan. But really jumping in and experiencing it is a very different and – a a non-productive way to start. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I think it's interesting that, you know, we need to be able to have this sense that we can kind of work through stuff, you know, like my least favorite piece or a positive statement is dance like nobody's watching. (laughs) It's, we recently stayed in a, 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 Airbnb and uh, there was a plaque on the wall that had that. I was like, of course, I hate this thing. Um, but then I was, you know, the truth is, is that I 
actually had, you know, got the experience of trying to dance like nobody's watching and intro to hip hop. And <laughs> the hard part was is that I hadn't expected the mirror. I tried to brace myself oh. for the fact that there would be a mirror because I understand <laughs> that this is like probably an important thing. But it meant I really had to hardcore stare down like myself. <laughs> Hip hop dancing. <laughs> so, so I was like, just trying to pretend like you're not watching, but really you have to try to watch. <laughs> I love it. And I mean, I think you're also right that it, sometimes we have to just focus on the experience, right? Are, is this bringing you some joy or satisfaction? My daughter says this all the time, and I love it. Um, like, we'll be doing something, whether it be gardening or um, she loves to help me just chop vegetables. And she'll just say, this is just so satisfying. Oh, And nice. it's such yeah. the right word for when you yeah. do something, that, that satisfaction. It doesn't mean everything is perfect or good or the best, but just the experience of doing it, being satisfying, that is what emotional well-being is about, yes. right? Yeah. And the thing is, is that we have to really kind of come up with a way that we let ourselves know we did a good job. You know, we have to have that sense of, that I'm aware of the good job that I did. And that's where it kind of goes back to parenting can't be your mastery because yeah. nobody's ever going to tell you you're doing a good job. Right. Nobody is, you know, even if like let's say you do nail it and your kiddo gives you that amazing feedback of you did a good job, it's going to be very temporary. Yes. Yes. Right. <laughs> and, you know, and if that happens, you really should mark it so that you don't forget it, you know. Yes. And it's funny because we need to have ways that we hold on to these accomplishments, you know. And so – Often what I will recommend is we, we have pictures are really accessible. And so taking a picture of the thing that you did that is your mastery project is a really good way of holding on to that sense of accomplishment. Um, my favorite, I'm a big fan of Amy Cuddy um, and her how body language can change the way that your brain perceives you. And I do know there's some controversy about, you know, whether or not her studies are 100% accurate, but I still like it. And so what she talks about is the idea of um, rocky arms, so raising both your hands up in the air, um, like Rocky does when he runs up the steps. Um, That what that does is that creates a positive feedback loop in your brain, because we don't tend to take on that position unless we've done something pretty amazing. And so if we do that, our brain knows we did a good job. And so I like to encourage my folks to... um, if you're trying to have something be your mastery and every time you do it, make sure you throw in some rocky arms. Don't worry. You know, <laughs> this is again, dancing like nobody's watching. Who cares if people think you're crazy, if you're rocky arming in the uh, painting class. <laughs> so if, if you bake a cake for a birthday party, yes. as you set it down on the table, fifths up, rocky, yeah, yeah, Rocky arms. Exactly. Because your brain needs to know this is what we did. This is a good job. You need to like this. Um, I personally, I keep a running list of all the things things that I enjoy or things that I like or things that have gone well. And I've been keeping that that list for um, eight years. So it's a very deep list. Um, But the stuff on it isn't very deep. I mean, it's like, oh, I had a really great glass of red wine or, oh, I really liked this song that came on the radio. Like it's some of it's, I mean, really super like surface stuff. But it's really been good for my brain for me to hold on to these positive experiences and remember them and because it takes, you know, not just the noticing but then the retaining because yeah. at some point I'm going to write it down. And so even we were traveling recently and I actually – I never travel with my list because it's very special to me and, you know, I don't want to lose it or have it be damaged. Um, But I just – I have a note section in my phone where I kept up my list, you know, because I knew – 
there was too much information going into my brain and I didn't want to forget any of it, you know, but we got to do that. We have to capture it to make sure that we have that sense. This is the thing I'm really good at. I love it. You also bring up this idea. We, we are adventurous when we travel, right? Yes. And so that is a really cool time to be able to just notice what we're enjoying. Even if we can't do it back at home, it's a clue as to what kind of lights our brain up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so there's this other idea um, that is called the Akigai. And it's a Japanese term, and it is the thing that makes you want to get out of bed in the morning. You know, like, what is the thing that excites you and makes you just grateful to be alive? And um, and Melissa and I have been really trying to figure out how we can unpack that on uh, this podcast. But it it gets super complicated, um, and I don't think it has to be all that complicated. It's just, what do you want to have be that that really good thing? And the other side of that is... It's you making that decision. It's not based on some other interpretation of it. So, you know, going back to the art, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And we have to be the beholder who says, I did that. And I, you know, strutting around saying, I did it. That's a great accomplishment, you know. One of my favorites is I love making my kids a really great breakfast. They don't like my breakfast. And so I, and we have this huge values disconnect because I really, I really want to make them good stuff. And of course, I always want it to be like my definition of healthy. And they are always like, what did you sneak in this that I don't like? And I can't even tell you how many times they actively, aggressively reject my breakfast. But I still, I always take a picture of it and put it out on Instagram (laughs) because my goal is to be like, I did it. I made this amazing thing. And then, you know, and and then I'll always also explain that, you know, daily children usually responded with, why do you make us eat this horrible stuff? You know, someday they will appreciate (laughs) you for this. I promise. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Either that or it will add to their list of why they're in therapy. (laughs) But the point is, is that it's not about pleasing them, you right. know? Right. Because they would actually be so thrilled if I would just buy them cold cereal. Right. Like, um, it's really more about, like, this is my expression of this thing I care about, and that's yep. that's my thing that gets me excited in the morning to get up, you know? And I want to caution all everybody listening that this passion is not I I should like to do this, right? Like, I think a lot of people are thinking, like, I feel like – Insert any exercise or diet, right? Yes. That is not what we mean. We mean passion, something that it is just, it makes you feel happy and thrilled to be engaged in it. Yes. Or proud to be engaged in it, that you've worked hard to do something or just loved being in that moment. Something that you feel like, I hate doing this, but I have to, that is not passion. No. So that's fine if you have those in your life, the have-tos that you have to do, but those are not adding to your sense of emotional well-being. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny because you can, technically, if you wanted to, you could make CrossFit your mastery. Sure. Sure. Um, I think there are actually a lot of moves in CrossFit that result in Rocky Arms, which is why people become, like, passionately addicted to it. (laughs) That's very interesting (laughs) throw a kettlebell over your head and you happen to land in that rocky arms position your brain is like wow this is amazing um you know if we want it to be the thing we can we can help we can work to engineer it but there is something to this mastery thing being something that's more creative or something that's got the element of fun to it you know um 
in her book, The Gifts of Imperfection, Brene Brown talks about creativity being the best thing that bursts through perfectionism because it's really impossible to do creativity perfectly. Yes. And so it's, that's kind of the nice thing about like kind of moving that mastery piece in that direction is you just don't have to worry about the idea that you got it just right. That's right. You know? Right. But yeah, it is, and it can be the good stuff, the stuff that's good for us, but it doesn't have to be. And <laughs> probably, I think you're right, shouldn't be. <laughs> um, one last thing I want to put out there, because I think this is really cool, Kristen. You do a lot of vision boarding in personal life and professional life. Mm-hmm. Can you tell people what that looks like? Because I think that's that's just a nice way to. Um, start to envision some possibilities. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that can be that big struggle with the idea of the Ikea guy or, you know, um, what do we want our passion to be is where do we begin? And um, what I like about vision boards and, and vision boarding can be as simple or as complicated as you want to make it. Quite simply, you have a board, whatever size it seems appropriate for you. You have a giant stack of magazines, and you just, you know, put on some music you love, and you go through the magazines, and any picture or anything in the magazine, it could be a quote, um, it can be a word, it can be an image, anything that speaks to you, and, you you know, and of course speaks to you is nice and vague, you're just going to tear it out. And then once you have your stack of stuff that you have torn out, then you're going to kind of go back through it, start cutting out the stuff that really spoke to you, and then you try to figure out where it belongs on the board. And, um, you know, and then you put it on the board wherever it seems like it should go. And over, over a little bit of time, you'll probably have a board that's filled with images and statements. And then it's good to kind of set it down for a little while. And you want to come back and look at it and say, what is this board trying to tell me about me? And I like it because, um, you know, in grad school, we learned all about the Rorschach. And um, what I thought was neat about the Rorschach was this idea that you don't know what the right answer is for the Rorschach. So it's going to get into this really subconscious version of you instead of the actively engaged, kind of um, focused um outside presentation of you you know like we all have these ways that we want to be and the Rorschach is meant to get way underneath all of that and to me vision boarding does that in a not nearly the same depth but it does allow us to get to that place of what do I see about me and for some of the folks I've worked with sometimes they have a really hard time having a vision of what their future should be and once we do a vision board they can say okay well Um, I have one client who was really stuck on this and was like, well, at least I see all these images of being outside. And they were like, you know, I think I probably need to be aiming to be outside a lot more than I do. And so it was just – it was a tiny little element. But that element was – Maybe part of your guy or maybe part of your passion is something that has to do with all these nature scenes that you were drawn toward. And that's the idea. We're taking away that kind of that self-editing, that imagery management that we all – or self-image management that we all tend to do, and we're just trying to get to the core of it. And I think it's – you know, it's been really fun. It's funny. I – don't think of myself as a creative person and it's probably sunny today like I am a really creative person but I mean the truth is maybe I am I don't know <laughs> but but I think the thing is is that that's kind of the nice part is I don't it doesn't have to be about an impression I'm trying to make it's what do I see what does my brain tell me about me yeah I did my first vision board with you yes and I think I had known some of my my passions before um, but the things that stood out, I couldn't believe it. I had a very quiet board. There was uh-huh. a lot of flower and a lot of 
food. <laughs> um, <laughs> nice. And so, but from that, I really was thinking like, okay, I can tell some of the things that I am longing for. So my daughter and I started gardening uh-huh. a bit. Uh, I, I should say gardening very loosely. We potted some flowers in pots. Excellent. And are loving caring for them. And also, I have been doing a lot more flower arranging at home. Nice. And also, I realized that I do have this passion for cooking. And I love to do it, so I have taken more classes um, uh-huh. just at our local Whole, Whole Foods. And I feel such joy when I take them. And it's so noncommittal because it's a one-off class, right? Yes. Um, and also, I have now discovered my passion of charcuterie boards. Ooh. <laughs> and I kid you not, I get so excited about making these, taking the pictures of them, and yes. then being able to share them with people. It is it is awesome. And who knew that something so little, but one of my pictures on my vision board was a charcuterie board. No and way. it just got me thinking, like, I want to make something that looks that cool. I love <laughs> it. I love it. So hopefully our discussion today uh, may have inspired you to try to find some of your passion, or maybe you already have. We would love to hear from you um, about the different ways that you've explored capturing your passion. And what do you think? Do you think that we're on to something with the idea of just practicing having a passion instead of, you know, thinking that it has to be this um, illustrious thing that we have to go in search of? Um, and those of you who are out there who know what your mastery is, let us know. We'd love to see it on social media or on our website. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Curious Mother. Learn more at www.thecuriousmother.com, where you will find resources related to episode topics. Please join our community and add your voice. Follow us on Instagram at The Curious Mother. Thanks for listening.